When you have never been to Europe, how do you choose which country to go to and claim asylum in? It's not an easy question, especially for refugees who don't have the space and time and the tools to research. Most of the refugees choose to go to a place because they know a friend or a family or someone there. We heard a lot of things about Europe before reaching Europe. For example, a lot of people thought they will be hosted in big houses and they will be given cars. Every refugee gets paid thousands of euros tax-free, of course, complementary of the European Union. So the journey is not really based on educated guesses or sound plan. But my guest today is a guy who has been living in the Arabic Gulf for 10 years. He left Syria just as the uprising started. Mahmoud, my guest, was lucky not to get caught back in 2011 when he was traveling from Syria to Lebanon to actually visit me. His laptop had some videos from some of the protests, but the checkpoint didn't really go through his stuff. He was very lucky. After seeing how they beat some protesters, he really panicked and decided to leave Syria. In Emirates, he started a job and gradually he was promoted. After 10 years of living there, he was about to lose his job, his residency, which means he would have to go back to Syria where he would be arrested at the borders and most likely taken to do his military service. So, how do you go to Europe to claim asylum when you are about to lose your job and about to get deported back to Syria? For this episode, I followed Mahmoud through his journey. The audio clips you're going to hear are recorded by him and shared with me on WhatsApp. Stay with us. Hello, good evening, Abdul. Um, tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to another city to catch my flight to Greece and after that to Germany. Um, you know that uh, I've applied for a Schengen visa and uh, I've got the visa and uh, I want to change all my life and to stay in a new place. Uh, why I'm doing that? Because, you know, I'm not feeling uh, stability and I'm, uh, and I feel that I'm not belonging to the place where I'm living now. And, uh, and like this situation, I cannot get married. I cannot make family because, as I told you, I'm not feeling stability and uh, like uh, connected to the land or to the people here. So now I'm doing a big step forward, I believe and I hope. Uh, and how was my feeling when I got the visa? Um, actually, I should be happy, but I wasn't happy. Uh, you know, I become uh, worried and, uh, and many, many feelings that I cannot describe. Because, you know, it's not easy, uh, for example, you are living in a place for 10 years and uh, one day you have decided to, to leave this place. A large number of refugees don't go through this since they flee suddenly. A lot of people don't have the time to think and consider what to take with them. So I've asked Mahmoud, what's it like to be in his place? someone who is getting ready to leave everything behind. 
so you have many many feelings uh, like uh, anxiety um worry and many many feelings but for sure uh, uh, happiness was was not one of them now i'm packing my things i'm i throw my many 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 of my things i throw it away uh, i am very sad that um you know you you were in uh, living in somewhere you have your own things for example your cup uh, your chair your bed and one day and all of a sudden you need to leave everything and go away so as a, a rented house you have to make it empty of your furniture so just i'm throwing my furniture i'm calling this guy and that guy come take what you want and you see the people how they get your things your personal bed your personal uh, cab uh, and everything they are taking as a syrian um you have to get another nationality because it's not uh, possible anymore to live in syria to get married in syria to have your children living in syria uh, now what i'm looking for it's the stability because i cannot feel any stability where i am now That was the day before Mahmoud flew to Greece. I had a phone call with him, but we decided not to record it. He was devastated. He couldn't even book a hotel room or his flight because he was panicking so much he couldn't really read or function normally. Seeing people come to collect his stuff really got to him. It was hard seeing his belongings being taken by strangers, but he knew there was no way around it. But still, Mahmoud is one of the lucky ones. He has a Schengen visa to fly to Europe. He can carry his luggage and stay in a hotel room. He can enter Europe legally and doesn't have to worry about losing his life or drowning in the Mediterranean. So I asked him, how can people fly to Europe from Athens if they don't have a Schengen visa? I would explain it. There's a cafe in Athens and it's full of people smugglers and they give you a number of options, mainly two options and cafe which is full of those people who making those passport or ids so uh, how how it works it works like that you have two ways the first way you can buy any fake id by 400 500 us dollars or you can get a original one okay with the someone who's looking like you and it costs you around 1000 usd or the fake one they make uh, by uh, printing by uh, laser printer and it's it's look like uh, the original one so or you have the other option you can give the guy who is working in this 5000 usd and he will keep uh, providing you with ids or passport i mean fake ones till you get out of there with the aeroplane ticket and these things. Mahmoud continued by telling me one of his friends who did not have a Schengen visa wanted to go to the Netherlands. So he decided to pay 5,000 US dollars 
to people smugglers to get to his destination. So as we know, many of our friends, uh, they didn't do it in, from the first time. So we decided to go for the second option to pay the 5K uh, there and to make that tries. Maybe it will take 10 tries, maybe 20 tries, maybe more, maybe less. So we don't know that. So my friend, he decided to do it. He sent his photo to the guy who's working in these things. So he told him, you need to buy a new trolley bag, a new dress, a short t-shirt, okay, and these things. So I provide him, I have a new one in my baggage. I provide him, he sent him photo again. He told him, perfect. It's very nice uh, t-shirt, very, very nice uh, shirt and uh, these things. So he, you know, he was, my friend, he, he doesn't feel scared at all. You know, I have visa and it's original one and I got confused and uh, scared as I told you in the last voice. He went uh, there, he made the deal, we paid the money. In order for the system to work, the smugglers had to work out a system of trust. The asylum seeker does not trust the smuggler, and the smuggler does not trust the asylum seeker. So, how do they proceed? The current system works like this. The asylum seeker deposits the money with a third party, usually an office or a shop that works as a mediator between the two. If the asylum seeker reaches his destination, the shop gives the money to the smuggler and takes a small percentage. If the asylum seeker got caught, the money gets returned to him and the smuggler gets nothing. After one day, he provides us with ID, with the airplane ticket, you know, a flight ticket. And he told him, your flight, uh, like blah, 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 from here to there. After you have another flight from uh, uh, point A to point two. Uh, and he told him, please, can you take this guy with you? Another Syrian guy who can't speak English. So he told him, please, the, I mean, the guy who is working these things. He, uh, my friend told him, okay, okay, no issue. I can do that. And he, you know, he, he trust himself. He told me from the first time I will do it. And he went to the airport and uh, after like one hour, he sent me photo while he's sitting in the plane he told me uh, five minutes for takeoff you know i i, I got uh, shocked how he did that it's not it's not original id and the one who on the id he doesn't look like him you know it's it's very strange and after that he went to the point a uh, and after that you know he got another flight and in, on the second airport, they told him, you just come in. Why you want to go out? You know, they start to suspect him. He was trustful. You know, he trusts himself. Uh, he told them, um, you know, uh, I was planning to stay here for four days for tourist, but they called me back again from my job and they told me, you know, you need to go to this country urgent and like this, like that. Okay, they talked with him and after that they told him, okay, okay. So he got another plane. He went to his destination. He reached there. He entered the airport. It was a, a small airport and the flight was at night. 
So when he reached there, uh, he want to go to police and tell tell them his story that I'm Syrian refugee and like this, like that. He didn't find any police in the airport. And when he asked the security, they told him, you are the last flight and you need to go out of the airport because we are going to close the airport and tomorrow morning we will open again. You know, it's small airport in a small city. So it's it's not busy. It's not busy. So he said, no, I want to go police. They said, we don't have police now. Tomorrow morning they come. He sat in front of the airport waiting till eight o'clock morning uh, at eight o'clock morning he went again to the airport and he asked about the police they said okay on the second floor you can go there is like a police station there he went there he told me you know those uh, police they are like angels they he told them i am syrian like uh, blah 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 you know the story of the syrian and uh, they told him are you okay do you feel tired how you reached there oh, and uh, he told them the story the true story they said uh, they asked him where's the fake papers he said i threw it and this is my syrian passport they said maybe your uh, syrian passport is uh, is fake he, uh, he proved that it's not uh, fake and they put him in taxi and they sent him to the camp even he told me imagine imagine my friend they paid the taxi even they paid the taxi he told me oh those policemen they are like angels they dealing with you in very good way they asked me if you need a physical doctor or psycho doctor and and like this and provide me with coffee and sit please you know he was very happy and today he talked with me from the camp you know he started working in the camp as receptionist and he's very very happy you know he's very super happy that was recorded back in early september mahmoud traveled to germany the next day and he stayed in a hotel for a couple of days to consult a lawyer he wanted to know his rights and then he decided to claim asylum there. When you claim asylum in Germany, they send you to a camp where you share a room with up to eight people. I called Mahmoud after a few days of his arrival to ask him about his daily life there. First, I will tell you about the camp. The camp, as I heard from the people or from the management, before it was used in the World War II as a warehouse for guns and these things, you know. And uh, after that, they closed and they just opened before uh, two years and they used it as a camp. It's a it's very big camp uh, with many, many buildings, you know. And uh, most of the buildings are very old, maybe 100 years old. It's like a kind of warehouses and they cut it by uh, gypsum board and make it as a, a, a separated uh, rooms. In each room, they put six people. But now because of uh, COVID-19, they make in each room uh, only four people in most of the rooms. And there is uh, a small uh, rooms with uh, two people. Before it was for four people, now they make it for two people. So when first uh, I joined, they put me in a room with four people. 
and uh, it was very hard actually. I'm waking up, going to breakfast. After that, see my friend. After that, uh, making my prayer. Then going to lunch. Then going to prayer. Talking to my family on the phone. And then going to dinner. Then coming back to the room. Talking with my friends on the social media. Then sleeping. No prayer in the evening? Uh, <laughs> yeah, before I sleep. I forget that. Ah, uh, Sorry. And we get money every two weeks. How much money do you get? Uh, 68.20 uh, euro. Uh, is that every, pocket every money? Every two weeks. What's the yeah, yeah, it's pocket money. Yeah, yeah, it's pocket money. Uh, do you think this is enough? Um, As we are eating here, so it's enough. I believe it's enough. Because, you know, uh, we, we are supposed not to spend money. Mahmoud sounds very calm and collected in this call. He was relaxed, and we were joking about the camp and the situation, and what's it like being a refugee now. Before reaching Germany, he was very nervous, and almost had a nervous breakdown, especially when he was on his way to the airport. But now things seem to be a little bit better. When first I applied, uh, they put me in like a, a camp for receiving the people, you know. I stayed there for around 20 days. In that camp, they made two interviews with me. The first one, it was how I came to the country. And the second one, it's about all my personal things, why I've come here and uh, what I want, or what is my relation with the Syrian regime. And they asked also if I am uh, uh, with the regime or against the regime. And you know, this kind of questions. And after that, they informed me that they will transfer me for another camp and I should stay there till I receive the answer from them or I'm waiting for a reply. So they said, don't worry, now don't do anything, just stay there. So as I reached where I want, I mean that I have reached to Germany and uh, I apply. So now nothing to make me uh, nervous, you know. I entered the country, I apply, uh, and now I'm waiting. So nothing uh, make me uh, nervous as before. You know, before I was nervous, uh, maybe they will not allow me to enter the country. Maybe something will happen. Maybe they will send me back. So now all these things that me, uh, make me uh, um, worried, now it's disappeared. So I believe this is the reason why now I'm calm. When you apply for asylum in Europe, you just give your IDs, any other documents that you have to support your application, and then you wait. Waiting times vary from case to case and from country to country. In my case, it took the Home Office seven weeks to process my application from the first call I made to the Home Office to the day I received a decision. Other people in the UK took over a year to get a decision, some of them more than a year. In Germany, my brother waited for over a year to get a decision and his papers. Of course, asylum seekers have a free accommodation in such camps, but what else can they do until they hear back from the government? In the UK, asylum seekers are not allowed to work 
while waiting for a decision. And in Germany, it is the same. Most of these camps are run by private organizations. Sometimes this is a good thing, but sometimes weird things happen in these camps. So here the people, uh, you feel yourself that you're still in your country. You didn't move from there. So I'll tell you one thing happened with me. There is the restaurant where we are having our lunch or breakfast. So I was walking there. It was one chair outside. I, I sat there. So one lady came. She told me, hey, 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 why are you sitting here? I said, uh, you're talking to me. She said, yes, yes. Here is the ladies' uh, building. And there is no sign that it's not allowed or it's ladies' building or something. I said, okay. She said, no, no, it's not allowed to sit here. You have to go to sit in that side. I said, okay. I was talking with my wife, so I don't want to talk too much to this lady. So I moved for the other place. She said, hey, hey, you have to move your face to that side. It's not allowed to look at the ladies' building. Yeah, yeah, yeah seriously. You know, I feel myself uh, like with Daesh. <laughs> it's not Germany. You know, uh, it's it's Daesh here. Uh, what is this? Uh, so I become, I got angry. Uh, but I didn't uh, say anything. I said, okay. And by the way, also my wife, she told me, oh, you are sitting next to the ladies. You are uh, looking at the ladies. And you know, I, I was not, uh, I, I didn't notice that there is ladies there. So, stupid people. Uh, so, this is uh, one thing happened to me <laughs> <laughs> this is, from many things. This is really funny that, that you're not even allowed to look at a building where, where, where women are, are living. Yeah, it's not only funny. It surprised me. I felt like uh, I am in, uh, in Daesh area. So, the issue, I believe here, the people will, will go from the camp I don't know after that uh, how they will deal with the people outside the camp because I believe it's very different from here. The point of uh, keeping the people in the camp to let them know about the maybe the German culture or these things, not to put a stupid ideas in their heads, not allowed to look here or there or these things, you know. <laughs> This is Daesh. Maybe next time they're going to cover the whole um, women's building so nobody can see inside and the, the women cannot look outside. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, and I didn't understand what is the point of that. <laughs> things get even stranger and you wouldn't really expect such things to happen in Germany or in Europe. Mahmoud told me that because asylum seekers are now living in a camp, the camp management serves them breakfast, lunch and dinner. Lunch is served between 12 and 2 p.m. The first hour is for the families, the 30 minutes for women, and the last 30 minutes is for single men. Having lived in the UK for years, I have never seen such segregation, and you wouldn't expect it in any governmental place in Europe. So one time I entered there, uh, the food was uh, rice with the chicken pieces, so when I went there, they gave me only rice. I said, what is this? They said, it's finished. So I said, come on, be logic. So why you are not, I came before half an hour. So when you ask for chicken, 
they told you that the families and the women you were not allowed to look at ate the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they said that. They said, no, they told me you are late. I said, how I'm late? You said I should come 1.30 now. It's 1.30. They said, so, oh, sorry, sorry, the, finished, uh, uh, sorry, the chicken uh, uh, are finished. I said, okay, so what should I do now? They said, okay, tomorrow, inshallah. <laughs> I said, okay. And by the way, when I was in the first camp, this was not happening. They, just uh, the food time, it's uh, from 12 to 2. You can come uh, anytime between 12 and 2. And I have many friends in different camps. They said this is not happening. Finally, I've asked Mahmoud what changes he would like to see and what makes this process easier and better for asylum seekers? Yeah, to make it faster, okay. So they can decide from the first month or second month. I don't know why to wait all this time to decide if, you, if it's allowed for you to stay or uh, you have to leave, okay? I don't know why it's taken too much time, maybe because of the many people they are coming here. To make it faster, first of all, and then to uh, monitor what is happening in the camp, to help the people who are in the camp to integrate with the society somehow. Because I believe the life out of the camp, it's very different from here. I mean how the people, they are dealing with each other, the daily life and these things. So you cannot uh, make the people here not allowed to look at me, not allowed. And after that, when they are out, it will be super different from here. You know, it will be harder to integrate with the people outside of the camp. So they have to do these things. They have to monitor the uh, a private organization that they are, uh, they are uh, uh, managing the camps. They have also to allow for the people who are in the camp to join courses, you know for language learning before they as i heard from the people they were, were doing that but now maybe because of covid and these things you know everything become harder well, let's suppose that you got your your asylum papers tomorrow and you are now recognized refugee what's your dream to join uh, something they called in german uh, outbuilding, which means that uh, it's kind uh, of uh, like institute where they uh, teach you uh, a new profession. It will take maybe two years to three to three years. I hope that I can join one and uh, learn a new profession, and after that to integrate with the society outside, to be one of the society outside. This interview was recorded in September. Mahmoud had been living in his second camp and he was living in a room with three other people. Later, he was moved to a room with one more person. However, in November, Mahmoud had been moved again and he was placed in a room with seven people. This made life very difficult for him because he was not getting enough sleep because seven people had really different sleeping patterns. 
The whole situation of waiting and not knowing when to get an answer and the lack of sleep was really getting to Mahmoud and he was getting really depressed. The situation got worse day by day. But every cloud has its silver lining. By the end of November, Mahmoud sent me the following voice message. Hello Abdul, how are you? Uh, say for me congrats, I, I get the reply from the court. They informed me that uh, I got uh, this uh, the protection for one year. Oh! <laughs> say, say congrats for me, Abdul. I will be out from here. I will not stay anymore with eight people in one room. I'm super, super, super happy. Oh, oh. <laughs> I am super, super happy, Abdul. Integrate That is presented by me, Abdul Tahan, and edited by Leo Sheik. Mahmoud was my guest today, and he soon will be integrating in the German society.